In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Today I'd like to reflect on the Gospel reading. The story of the centurion, I like to call him the worthy, unworthy one who traveled to beseech the Lord on behalf of his servant. He asked Jesus to heal his servant. And he received the response from Jesus, I will come and heal him. Come and heal my servant. No, heal my servant, he said. And Jesus responded, I will come and heal him. And the centurion gave a striking answer, a profound example to us a model for those who would believe in Jesus. He said, Lord, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. But just speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. This is the line that I'd like to focus on. I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. When you hear that line from the centurion, I hope you're reminded of something that you do every time before you come to receive Holy Communion. A line in one of our pre-communion prayers. I like to say about pre-communion prayers, if you're not Orthodox yet, if you're here and you're not Orthodox yet, (laughs) then... uh, One of the things I'd like to recommend to people is to become familiar with the pre-communion prayers that we do. You may not be receiving Holy Communion yet, but uh, familiarizing with those prayers is, is formative. It helps cultivate within the self an understanding of the, the Orthodox ethos that is revealed to us through the words of the centurion and also a longing it cultivates engenders within you a a longing to receive the holy mysteries. In our pre-communion prayers, we hear this word from one of the prayers of St. John Chrysostom. I'm not worthy nor sufficient that thou shouldest come under the roof of the house of my soul. What's present here in this reading and in its application is again a kind of paradox. Orthodoxy is full of paradox. An awareness of one's own unworthiness provides the fertile soil for the sprouting and blossoming of the seed of the gospel. And in this case, it's manifested in the form of a miracle. But even a greater miracle is this. And this is always the greatest miracle. That a humble heart could become the very dwelling place of God. Always. And in reading this gospel lesson, there are a few questions that we can ask ourselves in response. How do we approach God? First of all, like we said last night about prayer, in order to understand prayer, you actually have to pray. Pray is given to those who pray. Prayer is given to those who pray. And in order to be close to Christ, we have to draw near to Him. 
I like to say he's so near to us, but we are so far away from him. He's so near to, closer to us than our own skin. But will we exercise our freedom to draw near to him? And then with what mindset will we draw near to him? We're trying to understand not just that we should draw near to him. How? How? And as we do, do we think that we're worthy? Do I have the t-shirt that says, I'm orthodox, it's all good. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm a communicant. I'm covered. Do we think that we're worthy? If we presume that we're worthy on account of simply being orthodox, then, then we're not worthy. When we think that we're worthy, we're often acting as if those are, we're those entitled. And we become ungrateful and we take God's grace for granted, simply assuming that we have it by virtue of being Christians. Oftentimes we can think of ourselves as worthy when in fact we're not. Especially when we think that we're better than others, who are more depraved, who are more sinful. We have to be careful as Orthodox Christians who are, who are so um, overwhelmed by the beauty of our faith to enter into the life of pursuing Christ and being Orthodox, not being X whatever we were. We're Orthodox Christians. We're not ex-Protestants. We're not ex-atheists. We're not whatever it may be. Our identity doesn't come from being an ex-something or other, but it comes from being a Christian and pursuing Christ. And the centurion, again, instructs us with what manner we should approach this understanding of the great honor it is to be a Christian. Do we think that we're unworthy? If so, then we are worthy because He makes us worthy. Sometimes in preparation for Holy Communion, when I'm just overwhelmed by the grandeur of God's love for us, how to receive, when we receive Him, how the very life of God is coursing through our veins. I say this little prayer, kind of an adaptation. I'll take my prayer rope and I'll say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, make me worthy, although unworthy, to become a partaker of thy holy body and precious blood unto forgiveness of sins and unto life everlasting. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, make me worthy, although unworthy, to partake of thy precious and all holy body and blood unto forgiveness of sins and unto life everlasting. If we think we're unworthy and we understand that we are, then He makes us worthy. We become humble before God and ask when in need. And we're always in need. And then we trust that He responds as He wills. This kind of humility of unworthiness is born of a radical faith. I like to tell people that orthodoxy is the true radicalism. So much for punk rock and alternative scenes. I mean, I'm telling you, that I, I went through all those scenes. And I'm telling you that Orthodox Christianity is the most countercultural and the most radical because it is the original. 
It brings us back to what we were truly created to be, and it is the last rebellion as well. You want to rebel against, rail against the times, against the powers that be, against everything that we take for granted, against complacency and meaninglessness. Orthodox Christianity is the place for you to find that radical way of life. And having this radical kind of faith then even in itself begins to represent a healing that's present. Before any manifestation takes place, we have to understand that the beginning of healing comes when we realize that we are wounded and broken. How many of us are suffering from afflictions and consider ourselves to be afflicted? Turn not thy face away from me, O Lord, for, my, for I am afflicted. You could say with the words of the psalmist. Our life is quite difficult in many ways, exacerbated these days by the current crises that we're experiencing. How do we find ourselves in the midst of these difficulties? We can honestly say that we are afflicted, yes, but cry out to Him. And then, how do we define ourselves? Am I as one who is afflicted or am I blessed? Am I blessed? Am I cursed or am I loved? Our response to these questions will be proven in our actions because our actions are always a witness to what we truly believe. Not what we say, forgive me, not what, not what we say, but what we do. And especially how we treat others. How we treat others is um, an incredible measure to us of what we truly believe. The thoughts we allow to set root within us determine what grows within us. Our thoughts determine what mentality with which we approach even our momentary troubles. What do we do in a moment of levity and carelessness? Do we celebrate? Just simply celebrate and forget God? In a moment of irrational difficulty or crisis, do we simply despair as if He's not there? In each and every moment of our lives, we should recall the wonderful question of Christ posed to Peter. We heard this on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul this past week. Jesus asked to St. Peter, who do you say that I am? It's not just a question. This is the question. Who do you say that I am? It's the question of questions. And what we say in response determines the outcome of everything we experience in this life. St. Augustine of Hippo comments with these words. He says, when the Lord promised to go to the centurion's house to heal his servant. The centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worried to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. By viewing himself as unworthy, he showed himself worthy for Christ to come not merely into his house, but also into his heart. He would not have said this with such great faith and humility if he had not already welcomed in his heart the one who had come into his house. 
It would have been no great joy for the Lord Jesus to enter into his house and not enter into his heart. Just like, what, what good is it to have a, a dusty icon or a dusty Bible sitting somewhere on the shelf? He wants to use those as a means to reveal himself to us so that he may take up his dwelling in us. For the master of humility, both by word and example, sat down also in the house of a certain proud Pharisee, Simon. And though he sat down in his house, there was no place in Simon's heart. For in his heart, the son of man could not lay his head. And there's one other thing that comes up in this gospel reading that I think is worth mentioning. In the gospel reading, we hear scary words. The sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where men will weep and gnash their teeth. And I think it's important for us to touch on every once in a while a reminder of what the church's understanding of the afterlife is. This mention of outer darkness. And it ties into our theme of humility. I might offer a kind of a corrective to the so-called Western view of hell by a Western saint from the fourth century, St. Ambrose of Milan. St. Ambrose has written, What is the outer darkness? Surely there is not there a prison and some stone cells to be endured? By no means. But whoever are outside the promises of the heavenly commandments Whoever are outside of the promises of the heavenly commandments, they are in the outer darkness because God's ordinances are light. And whoever is without Christ is in darkness because Christ is the inner light. Thus, neither is there any gnashing of physical teeth, nor perpetual fire of physical flames, nor is the worm physical But just because his fevers and worms arise from much bitterness, so one who does not boil away his sins, so to speak, with the interposed soberness of abstinence, but mixing sins with sins combines the bitterness of old and new transgressions and is burned with his own fire and devoured with his own works. Hence Isaiah too says, Look, All you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks. Walk in the light of our fire and in the flame which you have kindled. Which you have kindled. There is a fire which sorrow from transgressions engenders, and a worm, inasmuch as the irrational sins of the soul, which are born like worms from each of us, as from the body of a sinner, These things goad the mind and understanding of the guilty and devour the flesh of the conscience. That's St. Ambrose. But this isn't to say that the experience of separation from God and suffering isn't real. In fact, it is, but it's not as a coarse kind of terrible fairy tale gone wrong for those who deserve eternal punishment. 
this is important for us to hear because throughout his ministry, Christ was always addressing the pride of those who thought that their salvation was secured. They viewed their salvation as a more of a status before God and man than anything. And as long as one maintains his position of power, his false temporal authority, his betterness than other people, and subjugates others to himself, he retains this position. But this sick sick mentality is disproven by the humility that can only be known by one who has both exercised authority and who's been under authority. I don't think you understand what it means to exercise authority until you've been in in a position of responsibility for others and then you've become scared. What to do? What should I do? My Lord and my God, help me. Because you realize when you're in any position of authority over other people that their lives are in your hands. That what you say matters and that it's an incredible responsibility. That should lead to love and not control, not a false sense of control. So we have a good example in the centurion. Supposedly not a man of faith, a Roman and surely not a son of the kingdom. And he acknowledged the limits of his own authority. The extent of his command as if to say, if I who am the servant of the emperor commanded the soldiers who are under me, how much more so art thou able to command death and illness so that they depart from one and beset another. Are we worthy? Are we worthy that he should enter under the roof of the house of our souls? Are we worthy? Kind of a trick question. Not in and of ourselves. And that's the way we approach. No, we're not worthy. But do thou make me worthy is our prayer even though this is what we were created for. This is why, especially when we approach to receive the Holy Eucharist, we approach with with fear of God and faith and love. With the fear of God and faith and love draw near. It's not just a pretty word, it's an exhortation. It's a last reminder to you before you draw near to the awesome fiery coal of God's body and blood and your lips are touched with the coal as from the coal held in the tongs by Isaiah no, held by the angel that touched the lips of Isaiah remember with what awesome wonder and even fear and humility and faith and love that you must draw near to him. And by doing so, you acknowledge that he can do whatever he will. He'll do it. He'll do what we can't do. That will get us through this season too, by the way. That'll get us through every vicissitude of this life, by the way. And understanding a true and radical belief that he can and will do whatever he will. (laughs) And that he will accomplish everything that he sets out to do. Will we 
be a part of that? Do we want to be a part of that? I hope so, but we have to be humble and trust Him. But our unworthiness should not discourage us. In the mixed up sense of pride that we have, sometimes we think, oh, I'm so unworthy, I should just never, maybe God can't love me, and that's not true. Our unworthiness should never discourage us, but all the more cause us to humbly call upon the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the physician of souls and bodies, who came not to heal and visit the well, but those who are sick. So my prayer is that he might grant us the faith to call upon him and believe, unworthy though we be, that he continue to find within us a place to lay his head so that he might be able to take up his abode in us. Let's take our cue from the worthy, unworthy centurion and pray, O Lord my God, I know that I'm not worthy nor sufficient that thou shouldest enter under the roof of the house of my soul, for it is all deserted and in ruins. Thou hast not a place worthy in me to lay thy head. And there's always but. But I pray thee, O Master, who alone art holy, sanctify my soul and body and make thy sanctification to be inalienable from me, that we may be numbered among the choir of his friends. May it be so always, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.